Hi, everyone. Earlier in the year, we preached through our statement of faith, and we stopped when we got to this point. Jesus will return one day, and the kingdom of God will be fully established, and all things will be renewed and restored to what God had originally intended for his creation. Now, we stopped not because we didn't want to talk about it. We stopped because we wanted to talk about it more. We recognised that we hadn't talked about this enough, uh, over the last few years and we wanted to give it a significant sort of focus for a period of time and that's what we're doing now over the course of November with a couple of Sunday sermons, some YouTube, YouTube clips for you to watch and a couple of evenings to discuss and pray through some of the themes that will be considered. I want to say a big thank you to Steve. He has worked so hard on those YouTube clips and I commend them to you. Please take a moment to have a watch. So why is it that we shy away from this issue? Why is it that it's been that we maybe haven't talked about it enough in recent times? Could it be because it's complicated? Well, yeah, it is complicated. You know, I read through some of the passages that are talking about the second coming of Christ or attributed to the second coming of Christ. And most of them, many of them are rooted in this sort of apocalyptic uh, imagery and they're hard to understand. But our hope, our hope is to look helpfully at some of the different ways of considering the return of Christ, highlighting the different approaches that people take and how some of these positions have developed over the years. Um, it's also quite controversial. Um, it's caused debate, discussion, and sadly, still today even, caused much division. So in embarking on this series, it's not our intention to divide, it really isn't. We simply want to try and give you the tools to discern what you believe about the second coming of Christ. Now inevitably, Steve and I will be speaking from our own perspective a little bit, but this isn't about banging a drum. This is hopefully, we pray, about being really helpful. It's also quite challenging. You know, this really stretches our faith and our imagination. And I would say that over kind of recent years, there's been a tendency to root ourselves in the natural, the physical, the understandable, the stuff we can touch and see and understand and comprehend. And I think there's been a leaning in culture and society to do this over the last 300, of year, 300 years or so. And I believe that this has crept into the church. Now, I think it's changing. We're shifting away from it, and I'm very, very glad about this. We're becoming more comfortable uh, with the supernatural side of things. But there has been this kind of leaning towards the more understandable, the more comprehensible natural side of things. And I wonder if that has just had a little bit of a legacy of this time, which meant we've kind of shied away from some of the things that really stretch us uh, and, and stretch our faith uh, and focus more on, on the easier stuff. I don't know, it's just a thought. So it, it is challenging. And we do, at the start of this, this series, need to pause and pray and ask God by the power of his Holy Spirit to give us faith and insight and understanding and revelation on this area of the return of Christ. We need to take the book in hand, we need to take the Bible in hand and ask God to really speak to us as we do. So this is where I want us to start, not so much with the, the, the how, 
the where and most definitely not the when or even what order things may happen in. That is when it starts to get a bit controversial and a bit complicated. And Steve is very helpfully unpacking some of the kind of things around those particular areas. But I want to start with this. The one thing that we can all agree on is this, that Jesus will come again. Jesus will return. Steve mentioned in the, his, his talk on, on the rapture, a song by a band called Fatfish. There is a day that all creation's waiting for. It's based on 1 Thessalonians. And uh, I love this song, but I, I kind of remember the first time I heard it. I was working, it was when the house of prayer was not a house of prayer. My office was upstairs. I can, I can remember it vividly. And I had some worship music playing in the background and I was just diddling away, doing whatever I was doing, typing emails. And this song came on. There is a day that all creation's waiting for. And suddenly the words caught my focus and my attention and the Holy Spirit just took hold of me as I started to, to think about and, 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 and sing this song. And uh, it's, it's, it is all about the second coming. It's all about when Christ will return. But as I started to listen to the words, I'd encourage you to read them. We're gonna, I think we're going to sing it. You're going to be singing it um, on, 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 the, on, on the Sunday. Um, but as I listened to the words, tears started to flood down my cheeks. And I ended up almost flat on the floor, doubled over as this physical ache, this groan kind of came within me. And it, and it was kind of overwhelming. It was a profound moment for me and one that I, I, I believe wholeheartedly is linked to, to what we're talking about today. Listen to these words from Romans 8. Verses 18 to 30. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is not seen, sorry, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We could spend weeks on this passage, and we have in the past on a whole series of sermons based in Romans 8. But at the start of the passage, the start of this, um, this, this series, um, I want to just bring to your attention two words from this particular reading. And, and I want to use them as we start our conversation 
about the second coming of Christ. So verse 22, it just says this, we know. We know. You know, in the original language of the Bible, there are two different words used for knowing. There's a, a, an academic knowing, what you might learn, information that you would obtain. This is not the word that's used in Romans 8 here. The word used here for knowing is the kind of knowing that is deeper, that is more instinctive. That's linked with and born out of intimacy and connection. What Paul is saying here is what I experienced, I think, when I listened to the words of that song all those years ago. There is a witness and a work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ within us, drawing us to that place where we would understand that Christ will come again one day and we need to be ready and prepared for that. This is an inner knowing, an inner longing, a waiting, if you like, for this event that will come. And uh, it, it's a knowing that will, will, will shape and influence and impact and should shape and influence our, uh, and impact our faith right now. So what is it that we know? What is it that we know? What is this event that will come in the future? And how does it shape the present moment, our experience of life and faith now? Well, let's just look briefly at the event. To just, just one verse from, from Romans 8 again. Verse 20 says this, In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. So the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. There's a beautiful picture of what this liberation looks like in Revelation 21. And I'm sure you've read these verses many times before. And these are verses, I know when I read them, they stir me. So Revelation 21, 1 to 5 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. God prepared as a bride, um, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from, from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. You know, we don't have time to look in detail at all the different kind of parts of that that reading and, and I think to a degree these words speak for themselves but there's a couple of phrases um, mentioned the one in Romans 8 but also in, in Revelation 21 that I want to just draw your attention to as we think about this event the second coming what's going to happen at this point um, Romans Revelation um, so that the first from Revelation Romans 8 21 says as we've said already creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay. The second um, phrase is from Revelation 21, verse 5. It says, He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
So there's this liberation of the earth from its bondage and decay. And Jesus saying, I'm making all things new. Now, this might seem really simple, but it is actually quite important. You know, at the end of the age, at the return of Christ, he's not going to destroy everything and start again. It says he's going to liberate it from its bondage. He's going to make everything new. What's that going to look like? Well, it's going to look like this world that we are in now, being restored and, 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 and renewed and being free from the impact of sin, death and the demonic, those forces of hell that have ravaged the earth for so many years. And then in Revelation 21, we just get just a, a little snapshot of what that looks like. I love it. It says there won't be any sea. Now, I don't know about you, I love to go and watch the ocean. I think it's quite a, a moving and quite a, a powerful thing. And I love the ocean, but I don't think it's saying there's not going to be any sea. I don't know. We'll find out when we get there. But in the Bible, sea is often symbolic of chaos and confusion. So what, what this is saying in this new heaven and this new earth, this restored heaven and this restored earth, there'll be no more chaos. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You know, on this Remembrance Sunday, when you're going to be listening to this, isn't it wonderful to think that there will be this time, there will be no more chaos. No more chaos, no more confusion, no more war. And he says there'll be no more death. No more mourning or crying or pain for the old order that's the old order of things has passed away Jesus is making all things new I remember a guy called Malcolm Duncan some of you would have come across him he used to head up Spring Harvest he was speaking at a conference I was at many many years ago and uh, he was making this point that it's important to remember that, that, that part of our belief about the end times needs to include a, a restored earth, not a, a, a destroyed and brand new earth, if you like. Um, and he said, he was talking about this, and he asked us to close our eyes, and he said, I want you to imagine your neighbourhood, and I want you to think about what it's going to look like, what it could look like. And I, I, as I shut my eyes and I imagined, I thought of a family that we knew, where mum had taken her life in the most tragic circumstances and dad, who we knew, just looked so sad and the children that we knew just looked so sad. And I imagined smiles on their faces. And then I thought about the, um, the undertakers just down the road. This is a long time ago. And I thought, I bet he's going to be a bit gutted. <laughs> but then I thought about the chap who ran it, who I, who I knew. And he just lost his wife. And I thought about what this moment would look like for him as he stood there with her with a big smile on his face. So, and I know obviously these, these are, these, this exercise is it's grossly inadequate in lots of ways. But it really drove home to me this important distinction between the world being destroyed and the world being recreated, renewed. This world that God created and loves and said, this is good. And this kind of, almost this sort of 
renewal and restoration of it. And we're going to be part of that as sons and daughters of the living God, as believers in Christ. The bodies that we have, not exactly, obviously, but the bodies that we have, there's going to be a renewing taking place there. There's much about this we really don't know, but uh, maybe we can look at Jesus as a kind of prototype, his resurrection body as a prototype of what our bodies may, may be like. The impact of that instinctive, deeper knowing of this that we've talked about is that it breathes and breeds hope in us. Peter calls this living hope because it shapes how we, as believers in Christ and children of God and temples of the Holy Spirit, it shapes how we live our lives on this earth and it shapes how we face the end of our lives on this earth, when we die or when Christ returns, whatever comes first. Now, it might be worth saying, you know, I believe that when we die, we go into, as Christians, we go into God's nearer presence. And then on his return, as it talks about in 1 Thessalonians, the dead in Christ will be raised first, will be part of that. You know, as an aside, and I think it's right just to say this, you know, I know this kind of evangelism that says, if you die tonight, do you know where you'd be going? It's become unpopular these days. But, you know, I, I want to say this in this moment, having journeyed with people in, in, you know, over the years of ministry, who've gone through all sorts of trouble and tragedy, the reality is we don't know what is round the corner. We don't know what each day holds. Yet I want to just celebrate and, and, and commend this truth to you. And if you're watching as someone who hasn't put your trust in Christ, I, I commend this truth to you, that part of the power and impact of accepting Christ as your saviour is that when you die, you will not die. You will go to be with God. And you will be part of all that we are talking about today. This is the good news. It's part of the good news. It's a really important part of the good news of being a follower of Christ. And it's all rooted in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. All this is rooted in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why the meal the Lord's Supper, the communion supper matters, that when we celebrate that meal, we're not just looking back. We're very much looking ahead and we're looking at the present moment too. Let's head back to Romans 8 to help us uh, see what this looks like. It says there in verse 22, we know there's this deep down distinctive knowing born out of that intimate connection with God by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And then it says there, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Both of these passages touch on this longing to experience in this moment what we will one day know when there is this complete making new, this freedom and liberation for the earth. You know that feeling sometimes? 
sometimes a situation or a circumstance in your own life or those around you, it, it just grabs you and there's this ache within you for that transformation, that almost a groaning within you for something to change in that moment. Sometimes we sit and we watch the news and or read the paper or whatever and we, we see a situation in our world and there is this aching and this longing within for something to shift and change. I had it this week as I was praying. I was in the house of prayer praying and a situation I'm aware of came to mind and suddenly there was an ache within me for it. And sometimes it's, it's almost a, a, a longing. There's a, there can be a grieving in it as I long to see a transformation and change. But there was this ache within me as I thought about and prayed about the situation. But from this ache came an energy. I think that the old word we would use for this, an unction to pray into and pray over this situation that had kind of taken hold of my mind and, and grabbed me within, if you like. When this happens, I believe the prayer that we need to pray is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is definitely an eschatological edge to this prayer. We want to see the reality of what will be coming and shaping the situation and the circumstance that God has placed upon our hearts and we are praying and interceding for. doesn't mean we have to wait till the end. Jesus wants to bring that into this moment. Steve talked about this in, in his talk on, on um, the rapture. He talked about this as something called a realized eschatology. We want to bring something of what will be and we want that to come and influence the present situation that is before us. Jesus goes a little further in telling us how we can pray into these situations. He says, you can actually have an impact. And, and as you pray into these situations, listen to these words in Matthew 16, 19. Uh, you know, I believe this is, a, this is a, an apostolic prayer. This is a kingdom advancing prayer that he is telling us to pray. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. You know, between these two prayers that Jesus encourages us to pray, these apostolic kingdom advancing prayers, we're encouraged to see and to release what will one day we will know in full. But for now, we know in part, but he wants us to pray that into and seek that into the present situations. And what these prayers do is they reflect the truth of what God has done in Christ. And they honour his intention for the earth, the creation that he loves so much. And they reflect, as I said, that the death and the resurrection and the efficacy and the impact of that event. What this looked like for me as I prayed this week is, a, is, is, is this kind of energy and unction came over me as I prayed. And I believe I prayed with, with, with authority and love into that situation. So just to sum up, this is why we have to have this conversation. Please don't be put off by the complexity. Please don't be divided by the controversy. Please don't be overwhelmed by how challenging this may be. Simply come 
and invite the Holy Spirit within you and say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Lead me. Guide me. Help me. Challenge me. Change me. And teach me.